how exactly it works is a bit of a mystery because we think it's the only device of its kind and we haven't found any detailed records of how it works. Welcome to 100 Years, 100 Objects, stories from the collections of Lancaster City Museums. My name is Rachel Roberts, Collections Registrar at Lancaster City Museums. 2023 marks 100 years of our museums and collections, and we're celebrating by examining 100 intriguing objects that help tell the story of Lancaster, Morecambe and the surrounding area. Today's object is a bit of a mystery. It's believed it was made to better understand the tides and help marine travel, but exactly what it does and how it works are still unknown. Today's object is Greenwood's device. The device was made in 1894, which we know from a date inscribed on one of the parts of the machine. It consists of a rectangular wooden base about 40cm tall by 30cm wide, which has a stand at the back to hold it up at an angle. Affixed to this baseboard are four concentric circles, made of thin wood or thick cardboard, each of which have numbers on them and can be turned to align with each other in different ways. Writing on some of these discs refer to the moon, transits and parallax, but it is not known how this device is supposed to be used, and even some of the numbers and scales on the discs are not currently understood. The device was made by someone who was already featured in this podcast, Captain William Greenwood, the author and publisher of Cludonometric Tide Tables. He was a ship's captain and harbour master, but this device also shows us that he was an inventor too, who created his own tools to better understand the sea. If you would like to know more about Captain Greenwood, why not check out that previous episode? For this episode, we spoke to Dr. Maria Teresa Valach, Senior Research Associate in Space Plasma Physics at Lancaster University and a Fellow of the Royal Astronomical Society, to see if she could help us shed any light on what this device might do and why Greenwood might have created it. I think the device was made to forecast the transits of the Moon and how exactly it works is a bit of a mystery because we think it's the only device of its kind and we haven't found any detailed records of how it works. So there's no inscriptions on it really other than the numbers and the lines that are drawn on it. And it has four circular plates which are laid on top of each other. The middle or the smallest one I think shows the orbit of the moon. So you can see these two sort of oval-ish shapes and that's reminiscent of how the moon orbits with respect to where we are. And the second dial can be adjusted for parallax. It says parallax on there so the parallax is the difference in direction of a celestial object as seen by an observer of two separated points. I think this could be perhaps to correct for any errors. And the next ring is to adjust for the declination ascending or descending. And I think this ring allows you to adjust of how high the moon is in the sky. And the last dial is the correction dial, which has hours, minutes of transit. And I think this is so you can figure out when the moon will go past so I think this device was in essence Captain Greenwood's own personal pocket calculator, if you will, so or, or his little computer. And he was a well-travelled man, so I think he would have used this device to calculate when the moon transits in front of the sun. A transit is when an object in the sky passes between the observer and a larger object in the sky. So the best example of this is perhaps when we have the 
solar eclipses when the moon completely blocks out the sun and it's directly between us and the sun but there are other ones as well and he might have wanted to know this because it's important to know where the moon is in relation to the sun and in relation to you to be able to tell the tides and as a harbour master of course that was very relevant to him. Tides on Earth are caused by the oceans being affected by the gravitational pull of the moon and also other celestial objects like the sun. Knowing how to understand this may seem like space-age knowledge, but in fact people have known the basics about the tides for hundreds of years. Maria gave us a quick rundown to help place Greenwood's device in a wider context. This really goes back to 150 BC when we have the first written accord of this. That was done by a guy called Seleucius of Seleucia and he theorised that the tides were caused by the moon. The influence of the moon on bodies of water was also mentioned later by the ancient Greeks but it wasn't until much later when the tides were more formally understood. So in the 1600s Johannes Kepler who was an astronomer came up with the suggestion that gravity of the moon causes the tides. And then later, of course, we have Newton formulating gravity in mathematical equations and also Galileo, and they both sort of started to formulate more specifically how the tides are caused. There were a lot of people involved, so the knowledge of the tides sort of builds on all those ideas over time. But what I find really interesting that it was the mathematician called Euler who figured out that actually... The force that is caused horizontally by the orbits of the moon and the sun and the gravity sort of changing through that is much more relevant to the tides than the force that goes up and down. There were tide tables before that as well. Figuring out the tides was really important for ports and harbour sides, of course. And so often ports or harbours had their own individual tide tables that was, would sort of tell you when the tide would come in in that particular place. Typically, you have about two high tides and two low tides over a 24-hour period. It's just slightly less. But in some places on Earth, actually, you'll only experience one of each. It's very dependent on the shoreline and the makeup of the bottom of the ocean, which shapes how the water flows. So you also get something called spring and neap tides. The spring tide is the largest, and this happens when the sun, moon and Earth form a line. So if you think about in space, they will all be aligned with each other. And it's a configuration known as syzygy. And this means that the moon and sun are pulling in the same direction, essentially. And the neap tide happens when the moon and the sun make a 90 degree angle with respect to each other and us in space. Tidal forces in that case cancel each other out slightly. And this is what makes the tides lower. You would probably barely notice the tides actually whilst you're on the ship because what you feel are the waves mainly. But then when you approach port or shoreline, it becomes really important. Being being a local man, naturally Captain Greenwood would have wanted to know these and being the harbour master, of course, he had to know when it was a good time to come in and go out. Greenwood's device specifically mentions transits of the moon, and we have heard already why transits can create unusual tides. We asked if transits only happen with the moon going across the sun. From our perspective, other planets and moons can transit 
the sun, for example. But it depends where you are. I guess if you're on a different planet in the solar system, you'll see all sorts of different transits. But so, for example, in 2012, I saw Venus transit the sun with a solar telescope, which is very exciting. But I have to stress, don't look directly at the sun if you want to do this at home. There were other notable transits. So in 1874, there were a number of expeditions undertaken to observe the transit of Venus. They had figured out by that point that there would be a transit of Venus at a particular time, and so Venus going past the sun. The British actually sent five expeditions across the globe, all the way to Hawaii, for example, to try and look at this. And the reason why they wanted to do that is they wanted to figure out how far the Earth is from the sun, and they thought they could calculate it by taking very precise observations of this. And they wrote hundreds of pages on this. But the really funny thing is they spent all this money and they did all these observations on it and they still couldn't improve their calculations. In fact, they might made them slightly worse. And it was only later that they could improve on the astronomical unit as it's known now. Astronomers have used transit for centuries to observe the motions of the celestial objects. So Galileo, for example, discovered the moons of Jupiter in this way. So he was looking at Jupiter and you could see the moons of Jupiter transit in front. That's why they're called the Galilean moons. And it's a very neat technique that is still used by astronomers today. So for example, many exoplanets, so planets in other solar systems other than our own, are discovered in a very similar way where you're looking at a light source and if you see it getting slightly dimmer, you know something's come in front of it and that's how often these things are discovered. But gravity and how planets move in relation to each other affects more than just high and low tides at your local harbour. Maria explained why knowing about them is important for a variety of reasons and how they expand far off the surface of the sea. I work in space physics and we really rely on a precise knowledge of astronomical angular measurements to launch satellites and to calculate orbits of planets and to calculate our measurements that we take in space. And so this requires a really good knowledge of Earth's rotation rate and polar motion. And both of these are actually influenced by Earth's tides. If you're a, a seaman or a fisherman, it's obviously really important to know the tides and for me personally, I've done a bit of surfing in the past and for that it's also really important to know the tides. But tides are also really useful because we can generate electricity through them. So you might know about the Thames barrier and other barriers like that. So often in estuaries or near the coastline you will have electricity generated through the tides. The atmosphere also has tides, so we can think of the atmosphere as an extension of the ocean on Earth. It works similarly to a fluid. The tidal forces will have an effect on the atmospheres as well. These atmospheric tides are less strong than the tides in the water, but they do exist and we can see them from spacecraft from space and it it's very cool because you see these really large-scale structures all the way around the Earth. And obviously the tides in the ocean, they're only in the ocean, so where the land sort of blocks them. And this creates different types of motions and oscillations in the water, and you can see different types of patterns. And actually near the coastlines, it can become very complicated. But when you look at atmospheric tides, they're these large-scale sort of waves that you see spanning all around the globe and they can change the winds and weather patterns as well as they interact with mountains for example. So it's very important to know these for atmospheric modelling. And this still isn't everywhere that tides exist. In fact the pull of gravity affects every object and body in space and can create everything from waves to volcanoes to quakes. 
Maria finished off by telling us what we know now about tidal forces that Greenwood himself could not have known. Obviously, we have them in the atmosphere, as I already said, but we also have them on large lakes. So, for example, Lake Michigan in the US is known to have quite large tides, so they can be several metres high. And we also have them on other planetary bodies or moons. For example, Io, Jupiter's moon, which is slightly larger than Earth's moon, um, has volcanoes and volcanic activity, and we think that this is caused by large tidal forces which has essentially heated the interior to make it liquid and so it can spew out volcanoes into space. Earth's moon has got moonquakes and we think that these are caused by tidal forces as well. So whilst the moon acts on Earth to cause the tides, there are similar forces acted on the moon by the Earth and the sun. So this goes both ways. Other planets in the solar system also have tidal forces and this happens with with every orbiting thing in space, essentially. We also know that Jupiter, Mars and Venus are large enough to have an effect on Earth's tides as well, which Captain Greenwood wouldn't have known at the time, but now we can do much more precise calculations to figure this out. Thank you for listening to this episode of 100 Years, 100 Objects. We hope you feel the pull to listen to some of our other episodes, where we talk about everything from funeral biscuits to fire engines.